Hello and welcome to the MKG Podcast, the podcast that helps marketers grow their businesses using the four M's, the right means, messaging, media, and measurement. I'm your host, Carrie Gard, and to help me introduce today's guest, I have my dear friend and mentor, Adrian Mansell. Adrian, Happy New Year. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me and helping uh, let me help you kick off season two. Yeah, thanks for joining me. I'm pretty excited about this. Yeah, this is my first podcast, so hopefully I don't sound completely horrible and passable. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I've got some big shoes to fill here, but we'll see how it goes. Oh, it's going to be fantastic. And it's going to be fantastic because you did this with me. So uh, today I, I have interviewed Aaron Weed, who just kicked off this thing called Speaker School, which is really cool. So Aaron has helped people over the years in creating TED Talks, mm. which is no easy feat yeah. by any means. But now she's taking it to a place where anybody can learn how to do a TED Talk. And uh, I didn't quite use it to do that because I'm not quite ready for TED. A little out of my... It's a really <laughs> high-fidelity production right there. <laughs> not quite there yet, but yeah. I do want to write a book, and we've talked about mm-hmm. this. So Adrian is my mentor and has been for the last... Two years? Formally for the last two years, yeah. Yeah. But we uh, started an agency together, and we, I wouldn't say I was really a mentor back then, but we talked a lot. We talked a (laughs) A lot. lot. So uh, we've definitely known each other for eight years now? Yeah, something like that. It goes way too fast. Way, way too fast. But it was really cool to reconnect with you two years ago to say, I think there's some partnership here in you helping me um, grow into you know, my skill set as a COO, mm-hmm. which you've helped me do done phenomenally. And one thing you've constantly talked to me about is definitely getting out there and speaking and learning how to do it better. But we've also talked about passion projects and yes. how important they are. Yeah, especially in kind of the role that you've been playing at MKG. There's so much day-to-day minutia that goes on that's behind the scenes or our hygiene tasks that if you spend all your time just doing these thankless hygiene tasks, it sucks all the fun out of work and this company that you've built so that would just really suck without some passion <laughs> projects yes and so I had finished a passion project we were riffing on some other passion projects the podcast being one of them I'm so glad that I was able to get season one out last year that felt like a big accomplishment for sure I'm excited yeah. to get season two going I've got a lot of great guests coming up this year uh, but the reason I, I did my interview with Aaron and then I showed up I had a meeting with you like literally mm-hmm. the next day and I was like we talked about me writing a book. I sort of like put it to the side because I was like, I don't know what I'd write about. I, mean, mm-hmm. I have a bunch of different topics that I maybe could write about, but I didn't really have like an anchor or that stake in the ground about yeah. this thing. And then I talked to Aaron and I was like, there it is. There it is. Yeah, you were so excited too yeah. when you talked. And that excitement was really infectious. So I was really excited that you were going to go through and do this and kind of the exercise that we, that we talk about in a little bit. And my excitement literally came from this interview because after talking to Aaron and having like a clear vision of speaker school and what it can do for people, not just in helping you write a TED Talk, but for a whole bunch of things like writing a book, like being able to get up on stage and just feeling better in your own skin Mm -hmm. and presenting anything from being a marketer and having to present to your boss to doing a big, you know, talk on a stage. And so it it really does have a lot of legs. I'm really proud of Erin. This is such a huge accomplishment for her. And I'm really excited for you guys to hear this interview. So without further ado, this is my interview with Erin Weed. Erin, thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Erin, so talk to me. Uh, Public communication is your passion, public speaking. How did you sort of get into this? 
Well, I actually majored in speech communication in college, not because I thought I'd do anything with it. It was just easy. This <laughs> was like me and all the football players, no offense if you play football, but you know, it was just kind of one of those majors to get through it. I was really involved in a lot of student activities though in college and running the student government. And that's what pulled me to college. I um, ended up in television production. And, and so that whole intersection of, of truth and communication, that's, that's where I love to hang out. Just like, what's the real story and how do we show up and, and share it? So the more I worked in it, the more I realized that was my passion. And uh, in a, about a year into my television career, I was out in New York uh, doing that whole thing. And a year into that, I just, I got some really difficult news that one of my best friends had been murdered while fighting off an attacker in her apartment um, back where we went to college. And it was just kind of one of those situations where you know, I often refer to it as a matrix moment, you know, you get the red pill or the blue. You can look at the the gritty awfulness of the world and how things really operate, or you could just kind of be in your own little fairyland. And for me, I, I wanted to look into the eyes of violence, you know, and right around that same time, 9-11 happened. And I was commuting to the World Trade Center every day. So those two events happened within 90 days of each other. And it was just kind of like, okay, I, I think, through the grief and through the pain, I was just feeling also compelled to look at if there was something about this that I needed to do something with. And so I ended up transferring my little uh, communications to starting a company called Girls Fight Back. And we basically provide women's safety and self-defense seminars at high schools and colleges across the world. And it's essentially a one woman, uh, 90 minute show. That's, it's essentially, essentially an assembly that combines uh, personal safety and comedy and ass kicking. Like I could have all... used that. Yeah. <laughs> I lived in I New York. I lived like by Avenue D. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. Many times where I wish I had a little ass kicking up my sleeve. It's totally. Well, and it was designed for people like you because after Shannon was murdered, I, I wanted to defend myself. And this, certainly after 9-11 happened, I'm sure most people who are listening to this had some kind of tie to that or even just watching it on the news. It's like you, you feel a fundamentally unsafe. And so I was just like, man, I don't want to be a, a, like a karate master. I don't want to be like a kung fu ninja. I just want to know how to open up a can of whoop ass if I need to. And someone's like in my apartment, you know? So, so I, I developed Girls Fight Back from that standpoint. But as this relates to the topic we're here talking about here today around public speaking, I, I knew that I needed to get a message in front of young women that were at the highest age risk or, or risk group, which is the ages of about 16 to 22. Those are the areas in, in a women's, woman's life that you are most at risk for something really bad to happen to you, violence wise. So I was like, okay, how can I get in front of them? And I just remembered that when I was in college, I was forced to go to all these speakers. And usually they weren't very good. <laughs> and like, they made me miss my whole night of reality TV shows and I'd just be angry about it. But I was like, what if that was cool? Like, what if I could actually be a good speaker? What if we could pull together content that taught them a whole lot of stuff in a short amount of time and make them laugh and kind of infotain them? And so I actually ended up putting my speech degree to good use and created the seminar. And um, many years later, it's still going strong. I ended up selling the company in 2013. In that time, we spoke to over a million women at live events around the world. That's amazing. And now you do uh, a couple different things. You have uh, a VISO, which you talked about, um, where 
you were telling me that that's more of like a very all-in-one sort of public speaking situation where you actually help somebody figure out what their truth is all the way down to creating the script to then actually producing a talk for them and videotaping mm-hmm. and everything, which sounds amazing. And then you have the dig. Uh, so the dig is actually a process where I help people discover their truth and narrow it down to just one word. And that's okay. actually, I, I work with people one-on-one to do the dig. And the whole, the whole point as it relates to public speaking is that if you know what your truth is and you have clarity on who you are and what you have to say, then that clarity is going to turn into confidence. If you are confident on a stage of any kind, then you are going to create the third C, what is called connection. So that's really what people want when they, when they want to hire a speaker coach in most cases, now they might say, Oh, I want to get a standing ovation, or I just really want to get ahead in my career by giving a really kick-ass talk. Really what they're saying is I want to be able to connect with my audience in such a deep, inspiring and authentic way. How do I do that? And so many people think it's because you move your, your intro joke and the reality is it's not it's about being authentic it's about being so clear about who you are and confident enough to say it so i started the dig to essentially be the process to help people unearth that and i started that after i started after i sold girls fight back i began working for tedx boulder and working with their speakers and i just realized wow you have these genius people that are doing incredible things in the world and yet to hyper distill that what they're doing and the essence of it down to 18 minutes or less is extremely challenging for anyone. And so the dig seemed to make it a lot easier for people. Which actually rolls right nicely into our next thing that you just kicked off. So congratulations on opening speaker school. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And it's basically bringing Aviso and dig kind of into the fold for people to sign up online now so that they don't have to have be in person. Yeah, totally. I mean, speaker school, it's just speakerschool.com. And um, it basically is eight steps that I have constructed over my almost 20 years of working in sharing authentic messages with the world through speaking. And I broke it down in these eight steps to try to make it easier for people. Because I find that so many people have such high expectations of themselves to get out there and be these incredible public speakers. And the reality is there are eight different things you kind of have to nail in order for that talk to be awesome. And it's so much bigger than what your slides look like or how your script sounds. There's, there's so much more to it. And all eight of those steps actually start before you even give the talk. Not all eight of them. I would out of the eight steps, I mean, it's really step number six out of the eight that is delivering your talk. So there's five steps before that of things that, that you should be doing that most people have no idea they should be doing. And they shouldn't know this. Like I was a career speaker for most of my young adulthood. So it's, I figured it out on my own. I didn't learn it from my speech degree. No one's out there telling you about it. So I wanted to create the course so that people who are taking it could be going about their busy lives and learn this stuff and know that all of these steps not only are important, but they also build on top of each other and set you up for success for the next step. So the first step is is the dig, which you talked about in terms of like digging in and finding your truth. So can you tell us sort of how you get people to uncover their, their truth and what they should be talking about? So the way I do it is I ask someone their life story and they start telling their life story. And, um, basically when I'm working with someone privately, I'm sticky noting it. So sticky noting all of the things that happen, the themes, the feelings, the, the overarching repeating things that happen throughout a life. 
and I sticky note it on a window. I actually, I have one on my window right now. Um, and, uh, and basically, we go through this whole process where I could pick out all the truth words, which would be like, uh, a truth word would be freedom, peace, be, you know, those sorts of, big, like very big words that are bigger than your story. And we figure out your operating system, which is a series of words that work together that are essentially the thing you're doing over and over again. And then within that operating system, we are finding one word that is the ultimate North Star. It's almost like if the operating system is the soccer team, the soccer captain is the one word. So you need them all and they're all important. But that one word is a great guidance system. Because if you've ever gone to say a conference, let's say you've gone to like a marketing conference. But if one person's dig word is, let's say, um, abundance, and one person's dig word is authentic, those two speeches are going to feel really different. They're both talking about marketing, but one's talking about marketing from the pr perspective of, of abundance and doing big, lots of things. The other one is doing it about, is approaching it from a place of authenticity and being real. So they're both talking about marketing, but they're completely different talks. And so I realized that has to be step one when we're giving our talks is that we know what our word is. So we know what we're really talking about on a macro level. Does this make sense? Yeah. So you really okay. need to dig into like your whole story, which I think to sit down and actually tell your story, the things you uncover, and that is pretty amazing. It's almost mm -hmm. like a therapy session, actually. <laughs> a little My bit. client this morning just said that. <laughs> She's like wiping tears away. I'm like, I should really have a license right now. And I don't. <laughs> like, <laughs> but it's true, right? When you, yeah. when you actually talk about it out loud and you say all these things, you know, I tend to tell my story over and over again about, you know, having lived in New York and having been part of these agencies and how I felt within all of those experiences, which led mm -hmm. me to basically what I'm doing today. And if I had to quickly figure out what my dig word was, I would say it was people first. Like everything comes back to treating people as people and not treating us as expendable or just part of the cog or, or replaceable is what I felt mm -hmm. a lot of the time. And so I've definitely come to this place of, I, I want people to come to our company and be part of our company and feel valued and feel like they have a family and a life outside of work. And those are all things that sort of mean something to me. So people first is definitely like my dig word and something that I stand on a pedestal and shout from the mountaintops on a regular basis to yeah. internally, externally to whoever I can talk to. I'm like, this is my my truth and where I come from. And it does have to stem from like kind of all of that sort of good and bad places, right? Of, mm -hmm. and, and you can't really get there until you say your story over and over and over again. Yeah. And well, for a lot of people, it's really the only time they've sat down and told their whole life story in one sitting. And it doesn't take that long. It usually just takes about an hour, an hour and a half. And, and then I pull out their operating system out of them. It's really difficult. In the in speaker school course, I teach you step-by-step step how to dig yourself but I tell people, if it's at all possible, try to find a partner or someone else, mm -hmm. because it's just hard to witness yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's certain things you just kind of need somebody else to see it. So the dig works best with somebody else doing it on you. But And so then the second step is, is figuring out the messaging then around that dig word. Yes. So then it's a matter of pulling out your content. So what I find that a lot of speakers and even a lot of marketers sometimes do a little too early is they're trying to formulate the brand message or the, the flow of what is being said before we discover the content in a completely safe, playful, kindergarten sort of way. Like 
what could just be some crazy stuff that we could say? What's, what's interesting? And so I have a methodology where I help people share their, their thoughts, their feelings, and their desires uh, around any given topic. And I basically interview them, or you can interview yourself, which the course teaches people how to do, like giving um, prompts to give answers to certain questions. Because I find that um, the, the thoughts, the feelings, and the desires, that's what I call head, heart, core. Head, core yeah. If you can express from your head, your heart, and your core, you are going to be the most fully, authentically expressed version of yourself, and it doesn't have to take a lot of time. So it's, it's quick. It's straightforward. People can connect with you when they just see the whole human expression of something. So, so step two, discover your content is all about getting your content out, not with the intention of doing anything with it yet, but just what could be fun, interesting, quirky, emotional, awesome things that we could play with. And I love head, heart, and core. When we first talked a few months ago, it was the first thing you'd mentioned to me. And I actually sat down and, and I hadn't done the dig. So it was, it, it was definitely not probably as powerful as it could have been, but it was, definitely the steps. And I love what you say in your talk too, that you did in Boulder of that really head, heart and core can be used for anything. Mm -hmm. it, it can be a one-on-one -on -one conversation. It can be to an audience. Like if you're doing your know, speaker school, but really you gave this great story about how you didn't even do it like internally of, mm -hmm. of you dressed up as wonder woman for a whole host of reasons, but it was like your head all of a sudden was like, wait, why are you doing this? Your heart was like, because it's amazing. And your core was like, I need a cup of coffee. It's just like, yeah, just this internal, you know, going through the motions I thought was just really powerful. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it really can be used in any situation. Yeah. And, and even with yourself, because sometimes I, I feel like that, that first C that I talked about clarity, that is like the thing that I just am bothered by the most when we don't have clarity and we're walking around in the world and we're just not totally sure who we are, what we feel about this, or what do I want from this person or from this project or this client. And it's just, it's, it's just the ultimate suck of productivity and creativity when we're walking around in a place of not being clear. And so, so head hardcore is something you can do and be like, okay, um, I have this new opportunity in front of me, you know, I can take on this new, this new contract for my business. You know, what do I think about it? What do I feel about it? And what do I want from it? And after you've written that all out or, or expressed it out or even thought it out, you are probably going to have a lot more clarity on, on what you should actually do. And the want being really the most powerful in that, like, what do I really want from this? Yes. However, sometimes people try to do that work too early. If you don't, if you don't give yourself the ability to just like let all the thoughts go wild, which our culture is kind of obsessed with the head, you know, just, it's really hard to access truly what you want from an authentic place. You can get to there from a little bit more of an indignant place, but from a pure neutral, this is, you know, like, can it be neutral? I think it can be neutral. Like, um, when I mean my neutral is like, it's what I want and it's not cluttered by all this other stuff. It's just truly what I want. So like neutral in that sense. But, um, but yeah, it's hard to access that directly for a lot of people. Some people like even like speakers to bring it back to speaker stuff. I mean, Martin Luther King, incredible core speaker, Greta Thunberg, this young, this young girl who's talking, who's out there giving these incredible speeches about the environment. She is giving almost a hundred percent of her talk from the core of just what she wants what she wants, what she expects, how we've let her down, what she wants from us going forward, how this is not okay. Like that is all core. 
it's like mom talk, right? Like when we talk to our kids, like that's not okay. Like you need to wear shoes. It's snowing out. Like, <laughs> I don't care that you don't like shoes. I don't care that you don't like how it feels on your feet, but you know, the kids are great at speaking from the core because they oh, don't yeah. have all the thoughts and the feelings as much yet. They're just, they know what they want. They want it now. And the world revolves around them. So why not give it to them? But you got to get there. And, and the next place is once you have the message, the, the head, heart, and core, it's then actually creating the content. Right. Yeah. So that's step three, develop your storyboard. So now that we have this whole like pile of content, then, then it becomes a challenge of, okay, let's sift through it and let's figure out what's most in alignment with us and our truth and our goals and our objectives and um, developing a storyboard that makes sense. And so for me, storyboarding is a matter of sticky noting and, and putting things into, I, I call it the five bucket system, which is basically figuring out the focus of your talk and then putting it in five buckets, bucket one being the intro, bucket five being the conclusion, and then having three pieces of information they could be walking away with. It doesn't necessarily need to be sequential information like step one, step two, step three, but it's just uh, the human brain really can't retain more than three to five things from any given talk. So the storyboard helps us figure out what we want to say in what order we want to say it and then put it in buckets so that it's organized in our brains so we can deliver it clearly and it's organized in how they receive it so they can hear it clearly. And you're going to need a whiteboard and sticky notes and pens and get ready to have arts and crafts. This sounds amazing. That's and right. to like step away from your computer for a minute and actually yeah. like just be and and get to your truth and then be able to like spell it out. That sounds amazing. So after content is, is the script part then, right? Cause you have the order of operations. Now it's just a matter of writing it down in a way that you can then deliver it. Yeah. I, I see the storyboard as being almost like a, a visual, like a visual outline, you know, you know, like how we had to write outlines in school. You had to do an essay and they'd make you do like Roman numerals and stuff. So if you, if you want to draw on that experience, then it's basically five Roman numerals are your five buckets and, and all of the supporting content underneath is, is your ABCs. And, and so then from there, you want to use this, this storyboard as a guidance for your script. And so sometimes when people hear scripting, especially people who are uh, the kinds of speakers that are a bit more extemporaneous, or, or less rehearsed, they're more off the cuff. They hear the word script and they're like, oh, no, I don't wanna do that, that sounds restrictive. But for me, I don't look at scripting as being some sort of like, I'm gonna turn myself into a robot kind of exercise. That's not the point. The point of scripting is to write things out so that you can go through the process of thinking through how ideas connect to each other and thinking through the best ways to say things. And thinking through if we're overcomplicating it, which nine times out of 10 as adults, we are. So the script allows us to go through and simplify it and cut and let go and reframe and, uh, and be clear. Be clear. Yeah. I, uh, I really like to write things out, especially even for like internal meetings. If I'm going to be having to say something really important, I, I write it down and then I, I go over it and then I deliver it to people who aren't going to be hearing it. And then I, I cut some more or I reword or I'm like, Oh, that, that didn't come off. Right. But you know, when I'm sitting in front of the team, I actually pretty much read it because I, I just want to be really clear in what I have to say. And I don't want to go off script and on a tangent because I'm really good at that. And <laughs> I, I also want to make sure that everybody really understands like what I have to say is, is, 
if I if I took the time to sit down and actually write it down, it's important and they and they mean it. And they, you know, that's just even for an internal meeting. And so to get up in front of a whole bunch of people and to not have something written down that you at least started with and rehearsed, I, I can't imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People do it all the time. Uh, and so it has different kinds of results. <laughs> you know, I try to meet people like when my clients, I try to meet them where they are. It's, um, you know, I see the, the scale of people who like to be super rehearsed down to the word all the way to the other side of the scale that they just like to just walk up on stage and see what happens. There's, you know, there's kind of a gauge that we all fall under. And I like when I first start working with people to figure out comfort level, skill level, ability level, expertise level, all these things contribute to how, what kind of presenter you're going to be. And have you seen people go from needing it completely written down and going word for word to doing it over and over and over again and being so comfortable with it that they actually go to the opposite end where they can just get up and speak to it in a really authentic way without it having been from word for word? Does that naturally happen? That's the goal. That, that the scripting process is really a familiarity process. And while you're scripting, not only are you creating the words you're going to want to say, but you're also kind of working on it, bringing them into your memory. I, I don't like using the word memorize because that is just, ew. Yeah, I mean, everybody's seen somebody give a memorized speech and it's awful. And I like, I like the word embody. Like, hey, I've gone through this process, I've discovered it, I've developed a storyboard, I've written it out, and now I'm going to embody it from the head, the heart, and the core, because we need to not just discover our content from those three places, but we need to deliver it from those three places, which is uh, the next step after designing the slides. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So what's, So tell me about that next step then. So design your slides is, I always say this is number five and it's after scripting, which most people, um, like I, I see a lot in the business world, think like, okay, you get a speech and the first thing you should do is open up PowerPoint and, and just start like creating the talk, right? And it's okay if, if you're a visual person, really what they, they're kind of wanting to do in that moment is they're trying to actually visually storyboard it. However, what happens is that these slides turn into these death by bullet, like bullet points and um, not fun to look at. They're usually very wordy. And I believe the best slides are a picture. And it's a picture with maybe less than five words on it. And it's on brand. Like if you have a color scheme, you know, that it's, it's all like recognizable the same way it should be recognizable if someone gets your business card versus if they go to their website versus if they go to your Twitter page, it should also match your slides. Like it, it should all be tied together. So, so I see, look at the bigger brand when we give the slides and also slides can be so many things. They can be giving information. They can be telling a joke. They can be the punchline of your joke. They could be uh, creating emotion, creating feeling. So I see slides as kind of being your secret sidekick if you use them right. I love that. And I, I you know, in marketing, we give presentations uh, all the time to clients. And unfortunately, we have to stuff them with bullet points because it's while we're delivering it internally or, or externally to a client, it might go beyond the client to someone else. And, and it's, mm-hmm. it's something that they might have to read. So in that case, sometimes it makes sense. You kind of have to get the bullet points in there. You have to have the information because you don't, 
you're not necessarily delivering it. But when you're standing in front of a group of people and you're mm-hmm. delivering something, you don't need it. I love that. Like it's that it's your sidekick. It's really just that mm-hmm. visual and that moment of something you're trying to describe and giving that visual cue of it. You have that Wonder Woman photograph in your attention, yeah. which was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So I do well, think that- What you're talking about, I love that you brought that up because it's almost like in, especially in the marketing world today, the, the lines get blurred between what is a proposal and what is a presentation. Because in so many cases, you have to present about what the proposal is. And, and that does get tricky because presenting, you want different kinds of visuals than in a proposal, which you need the, all, all the information. So some people that I've worked with, we decide to separate the two where there is actually a presentation given and they record it using the slides so that you can watch a 10 minute version of the presentation. And then you can read the proposal as a PDF. Totally too many words on slides is that people kind of skim them. I don't, I don't feel like deep understanding is going on or deep connection. So it's not my preferred mode. However, I know tons of companies still do it. Yeah, we try and include like an executive summary. So it's just like a snapshot at the very top of like, here are the things you really need to know. And then here's mm-hmm. all the, the other sides, with all the data and all the bullet points and all of the land. It's mm-hmm. definitely not ideal, but it is where the market sort of is and what people sort of need. Because then they like mm-hmm. to take it from what you're giving them and then drop it into an internal slide for them to then present. But I do think we're all trying to sell something at the mm-hmm. end of the day, right? no matter how, what kind of presentation it is, whether it's trying an internal idea, whether it's to a client to get them to buy off on something, to continue to work with you, whether it's you as the marketer trying to deliver something to your boss, you're trying to sell them on something. Mm -hmm. And so to make it in a way that is real and authentic, but also not so many words on the page and making the visual partner with that, I think is way more appealing and get your storyline across a lot better to your point mm-hmm. than, than the words, 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 words. Yep. So once you have the presentation, you deploy. Yeah. Well, um, after you have the slides, then you deliver the talk. And so that's step six. And, and that's when, when most people think about speaker coaching, they're thinking about being on stage and how does your voice sound and what does your body look like and memorization and all those things. And, and that is a legitimate stage. It's just stage six out of eight, you know, like, and, yeah. and it's not stage one where a lot of people think. So uh, the step, the step after that is deciding your strategy. I personally like to look at speaking as, first of all, something that pretty much everybody has to do in some way, shape or form, whether it's in a setting of one-to-one or one-to-some or one-to-many going through this whole process of knowing your truth and your message and, and crafting it is just such a valuable thing to do. But and when I work with people on their strategy, we, we work with, okay, how can we take our authentic message and strategize how it's going to get heard in the world? Not the deployment yet, like not like the actual tactical tools, but you know, where does this make the most sense to reach the people that we want to target? Is it, is it speaking? Is it a podcast like you have? Is it a book? Is it through our services? And if so, what services should we be offering? And I challenge people to create sustainable message ecosystems by measuring for each, each of these little bubbles in your ecosystem, measuring, do, do I love it? Does it serve a higher purpose? And does it make me money? Like, does it, does it feel worth it from a financial standpoint? Because without any of those three things, you have 
a very unsustainable ecosystem and and it's going to collapse well and it goes back to the head heart and core piece of it right where you it's really got to and what you're talking about in terms of embodying it and and that really comes to the love piece of it and the purpose right i mean if you have all if you feel this talk and what you're trying to deliver and if it really means something to you then the love and the purpose is there it's just a matter of it to your point is it sustainable in the fact that is it going to essentially make you money and how do you even determine that i mean if you do love i mean i think you found interesting ways of doing that between the the girl power mm -hmm. in one way and then to now transition that into actually teaching people how to give talks like that um, but for some of your clients, do you have any examples of like how you've taken sort of just their story and helped them turn it into something where they can actually go and make money off of it? Oh, totally. Like one of my early clients was Ash Beckham and she gave a TEDx talk called coming out of your closet. And she's, she's a gay woman and wanted to tell her coming out story. And when we started working together, we, be, we began with a dig. Her word is freedom. And, and at the time, I mean, she was operating a food truck. She had like an, like an, I think it was Indian food, food truck. Um, and so she was not doing anything in the realm of speaking or message spreading or anything, but we did her TEDx talk together and it was, it was a phenomenal talk and she went viral. And then all of a sudden she, she was getting calls and requests and, and had like, very quickly, a hundred thousand, a hundred thousand followers on Facebook. And it just like, it blew up. So, you know, we went to her message ecosystem. I was like, all right, what's next? And so now she's a full-time speaker and she's got a book coming out with sounds true next year. She does all sorts of online stuff and it's like a whole different business now. And so this happens all the time. And I, I've worked with many companies even to, to develop additional arms of their business using speaking, things like companies that develop speakers bureaus or training divisions, or if you're a service practitioner, but then you want to move into more of a teaching role, it can be a, a real nice break. I mean, it's, as someone who does both services and, and speaks and teaches, it's really nice sometimes to not be fully and completely responsible for your client um, the implementation side of it and just to teach them how to do it themselves or to have some kind of speaking experience. So there's a lot of different ways you could integrate speaking into, into your business. And, um, and, and there's a lot of income potential too. I mean, people are hungry for knowledge and information from, from people who've done it. And so then the next step, so that's step six, seven, that's step seven. Yeah. And then step eight is deploying the 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 message and frankly you probably know a lot about that more than i do <laughs> as far as like that is the tactical that is like the okay now we have this great amazing talk what marketing types of things do we want to use to get out to the world in speaker school we focus more on the, the speaker journey so how do you work how do you work with speakers bureaus or how do you get booked to speak how do you get picked for a panel at boulder startup week or wherever you want to talk or how do you get chosen at tedx that's a great thing for even like a, a, a non-speaker could do a TEDx and your business just completely blows up. It happens all the time because when you take your ideas and you get them down to that succinct, short message and it connects with people, they want to hire you. They want to meet you. They want to work with you. It's the nature of trust and thought leadership. Yeah. It actually happened with my mom. She did it. Really? 
Yeah, she did a TED talk on uh, for education, mm-hmm. and and now she works for Apple. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. yeah, TED is amazing, and yeah. and they have their own process. I mean, they have their own process in terms of helping people develop their talks, and that's what she went through. Is yours similar to that? Is it is it different? How I mean, how do you work with TED that way? Yeah, I actually I developed the speaker coaching program at TEDx Boulder. I'm still a coach there. And also for TEDx Mile High, I developed their training program. And it's based off of the the eight steps I just explained to you. And it's more about the creation and the delivery of the talk. Erin, thank you so much. I'm I'm ready to go sign up for speaker school. Because (laughs) as much as I think I have my dig word and like my mission and purpose and love and head, heart and core, I, as well as the authenticity and transparency of it, I wonder if by going through these steps myself, if I would actually uncover something brand new. So thank you so much. This has been an honor and I, I wish you all the best with speaker school. I think it's going to be awesome. Well, thank you so much. It was great to be here. So that was my conversation with Aaron Weed and Adrian, we actually did the day. We did. Yeah. I got to word. We did. It took some time for sure. Uh, I think it took some effort, but we definitely got to one word. I would say it's a fairly big word, uh, which sounds funny to say. It's not a very long word, but it's a word that represents a lot of different things to a lot of different people, and there's a lot of uh, greater definitions about it. I don't know. I don't want to be the one that takes the wind out of the sail of sharing your word. I think that you should do that, but... Uh, I think we found a, a good one, and I was really pretty pleased with what we landed on. I think it was a really good fit. Yeah, I'm really excited, and I'm I'm gonna hold on to it and make my listeners <laughs> all the end of their seats to wonder what on earth this word could be. Uh, so so stay tuned on that. But I do want to talk about the process because yeah. it it was definitely something I walked into where I wasn't really sure how it was gonna go. Mm-hmm. And while Aaron does a really good job in speaker school of talking through what you should do and what to expect, once you go through it, it's definitely a very different experience. And totally. so as the person doing all of the speaking, it's not actually that difficult. You get to sit down, you get to tell your life story, it's very therapeutic. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but for the person taking the notes, it's definitely some pressure there. Yeah, right? no, there is some pressure. And I would say select your listener wisely because this is not a passive listening experience for the person listening to you. Uh, In my case, I I took many more notes on many colored post-its than I usually do um, because I I feel definitely there's a lot of pressure and responsibility, not necessarily to get it right, but to listen through everything and start applying a bit of a sieve to what is contextual versus what is really a good nugget that needs to move forward. And uh, to your credit, I think that you were uh, very verbose, which I think was good, but that also made it difficult to take a lot of notes. I would say one thing is, and understandably, we started really heavy in background, and then maybe because we have such a long standing working relationship. I kind of know a lot about how these other things are, but I didn't know the first part. But it's definitely a challenge to listen to the early parts of someone's kind of professional identity or way back to elementary school and try to find the worthwhile nuggets that would get to a a dig word. It's difficult to, while you're listening, identify what's worth taking notes and what's worth isn't. 
Um, but I guess that's probably just a scribe minute-taking, note-taking exercise. Uh, aside from that, I was really great to see from your perspective and your internal narrative and kind of monologue of what that arc was. So even if it didn't seem obvious to me that these are things that are really worth writing down, the fact that you're mentioning them means that you do think that they are worth writing down. So I wrote almost all of them down. Um, I definitely focused on a bit of a timeline. And then the other thing that I did is I tried to identify some key themes and observations that um, we kind of went through. And I uh, probably had about 50 different little notepad, not full notepad, but little post-it notes that are filled out with my horrible chicken scratch. And then at the end of that, we kind of digested and talked through all of them. Um, I think I had about nine different potential themes or dig words that we were looking at. Um, and then we kind of found the right fit. Yeah, that's how one I that was just sort of in the center that sort of yeah. held it all together, and it was this, this big aha moment for sure. I think it was really good that I actually had, I don't know who else I would have done this with, because you really can't, you can't do it with somebody really close to you. Like, there was no way I was going to sit with my husband. This didn't make any sense in that realm. Because he knows everything. He You're not telling knows, him much new. I'm, I'm not telling him anything new. He's not going to have a fresh perspective on it. And because we've already had this working relationship, it mm -hmm. just made a lot of... And we were both toward, working towards this common goal of what we wanted to achieve out of this. I yeah. think that just made a lot of sense. So Agreed. I agree. I think the hardest part in finding your dig word isn't finding the word. It's finding the right person to sit down and do this with and set the right expectations. I actually had Adrian. I think I had you actually listen to the first part of the oh, absolutely. school yes. so that you knew what the expectation was. I think that's absolutely. a really important key. Yes in doing this. Yeah, I would say when you, if someone were to go through this at home, definitely have them get as much up to speed with uh, the content as you are. The listener needs to be as, as up to speed with this process as the, the speaker to ensure that the right expectation and responsibility is set. Because, I mean, it's not, we're not curing cancer, but it is a responsibility to make use of this time effectively. Yeah. So yeah, I'm glad that you did that so that I didn't just blunder through it. <laughs> yes, it was it was awesome. I'm really excited about my word. I'm really excited about writing. I'm going to write a book. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that this is a, a really good uh, step in that staircase of the story that's going to be your book. I really do. I'm excited. I'm really excited. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Certainly. And kicking off season me. two. Thank you, listeners. If you'd like to learn more about Aaron Weed, please visit speakerschool.com and you can easily register. It's, I'm, I've only done the first part. We've only just done the dig word, but I'm really excited about getting more into the next seven steps that she's got going on and getting this to a place where I can really talk about it and really own, own this word. I'm really excited about that. Thank you for listening to the NKG podcast, the podcast that helps marketers grow their businesses using the four M's, the right means, messaging, media, and measurement. I'm Carrie Gard, and until next time.